0: Well, good morning, Grace family. My name is Pat Coyle. I don't, I don't know all of you. Um, I, I serve now on staff in a kind of a role over all the campuses. I'm HR pastor and uh, get to kind of be pastor to our staff, I guess, in a sense, and really enjoy that role. My family and I worship here at Anderson and uh, know a lot of you through the years. Some of you who are newer, uh, we've been a little less in the hallways and highways and byways, and so haven't got to know you as well. But And I don't get to, uh, don't get to preach that often. I think it's been 18 months since the last time. Uh, I preached, and uh, when the when the series on the Psalms uh, came up uh, in the spring, late spring, and the pastors who were teaching began to decide on what topics they were going to preach on. Um, and I just wasn't ready, and I'll talk about a little bit more about this in a second. But just even in this winter and spring, uh, we had lost dear friends uh, in an accident at the end of last year. Lost my dad in January, and. Uh, uh, just was really heading into a time in need, need of some healing and some downtime and had the blessing of a sabbatical at the beginning of the summer and then a little bit of vacation and we're just back from that. And they were picking the uh, sermons, the, the psalms at the, at the beginning of that process and I just said, hey, can I, can I wait? So if you, if you saw the sermon series chart that's been out today, it says to be, TBA, to be announced. They gave me the, the blessing of kind of waiting to decide until a few weeks ago. And I was really grateful that it worked out that way um, because of the psalm uh, that the Lord uh, led me to and, and that I want to go through with you this morning. And uh, it comes out of, uh, it, it came to light in me because of a longer season of difficulty in my own life. Uh, going back about five years uh, in my family, we've lost five family members, one to a a tragic uh, accident and others to just various circumstances. It's never never easy. Um, in, in the middle of that season, God began to uh, chip away at me through some physical uh, problems and some emotional uh, struggles I was just coming to deal with. And, and, and uh, in that process, I found myself kind of in a dark place and really clinically depressed. So I really understand what that state is like. And I know uh, for many, probably in this room, that may be a place that you're in right now. And so out of my story and then looking at the Psalms available, uh, the Lord just Led me toward the end of the summer to Psalm eighty-six, where we're going to be this morning, and uh, just just I'm really excited to to walk through this with you, uh, because I know just talking to people after the first service, there's a lot of pain uh, in our world, and a lot of folks who are who are walking through deep pain and difficulty, and and the psalmist. Uh, Helps us with that this morning. So uh, it's no secret now that a theme in the psalm is this idea of whether or not God is listening. I've, I've put it up there on the on the slide for you. But um, uh, I, I thought, well, to get our juices flowing and our kind of brains going this morning, I would I would go to Google and just see what's out there on uh, in, in social media and, pre- and popular culture on God listening. So you know, I put in the uh, the term God listening, and you, first of all, you get the things that you would expect the the very faith filled. Kind of biblically based things. Know this above all else. God hears and listens to every one of your prayers. That's from at Trust God, bro. I like that uh, that source there. I don't know so much about the other source, but this appeared quite a bit. And various uh, various graphics. When you need, God knows. When you ask, He listens. When you believe, He works. I don't necessarily endorse the group that did this one, but I like the antlered animal there. It seemed to be a really peaceful picture. I don't know what it has to do with the quote, but anyway, uh, there it is. So there's these biblical spiritual uh, ideas on God listening. And then there's the less spiritual from the theologian Woody Allen. Uh, if only God would give me some clear sign, like making a large deposit in my name at a Swiss bank. You know, <laughs> Woody's reflecting the worldly perspective that God listening is God filling my candy jar, right? God, if God's listening, he's doing good things on my behalf. So a little bit, little bit less uh, spiritual idea there. Back to the spiritual side of Christian advertising. God listens. Okay. We know this from our friends at the KSBJ down in Houston. When they adopted that theme, I, uh, I thought they, they kind of hooked me. They kind of got me like, man, that's arrogant. God, God listens to their radio station. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're really just trying to remind us, right, that God listens and they've got they a great emphasis on prayer. Well, this apparently sparked quite a battle <clears throat> with people who like a different kind of music. God listens to battle. God listens. There was apparently this whole battle going on in these in these graphics and on billboards and everything. Uh, I guess the people uh, of that particular musical taste felt the need for God divine af- affirmation of their taste or something. I don't know, but uh, but regardless, you know, if this if this idea that God listens is true, I wonder uh, if if we really experience it. If we really feel like it's true, I wonder if it's not more like this idea: is God listening? And there's the hotline to heaven and the. And the cord dangling out there and it's going up. And is he there? Is he on the other end? Um, do, we, do we really experience this in our heart? We know it in our head. Evangelicals, right? Bible-believing people, we know he listens. But do we really believe it at all times in our heart? Because we go through things in life that make us wonder if God is really listening. So Psalm 86 takes us into a, a deep analysis of this idea uh, of, of, you know, God in the midst of our difficult circumstances. It's a, 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 a psalm attributed to David, King David. Um, it's, it, it, the Bible says he's the author, so I'll take it at that. There's scholars and critics uh, argue a little bit because it, it is a compilation, actually, of uh, ideas and phrases and passages from other psalms, Psalms of David. And so, I'm not really sure if uh, if David compiled them in this form, or if someone else compiled them and attributed David's name to it, uh, it, it doesn't really matter. Their their uh, the authorship is attributed to David. It's a, a kind of a classic structure for the Psalms. You don't you don't um, you don't look at a, a rhythm and meter in Hebrew poetry like you do in in our poetry. You look more at structure and the structure of ideas. And in this particular the structure of this particular psalm, there are five major ideas or major segments. And um, the middle one is, is kind of the focal point. If you picture kind of an arrow, uh, the middle passage is at the point of the arrow. And back here are the first and last passages, and the second and fourth passages are in the middle. So uh, where you go and where you come out of is the, is the focal idea, and that's verses 8 through 10. So we'll look at why that's significant uh, in a couple of minutes. Um, and then it's a very individual, um, it's a general topic, a very individual uh, psalm. It doesn't seem to be for corporate worship. It seems to be a conversation uh, from an individual uh, between him and his God. And it's um, definitely about being poor and needy. It's definitely about being in distress. It doesn't identify at the beginning of the psalm what David's distress is. It actually does at the end, and, and, and we'll look at that. Uh, but I think that, <laughs> I love it, actually, that, that that lack of specificity at the beginning, just talking about being poor and needy, makes it something we can all more readily relate to. If you get to the reasons why David's having this trouble, you might not relate to it as much. But if you're poor and needy, uh, you can look at this psalm and say, uh, it speaks to me. And uh, so so I think it's kind of like Paul's thorn in the flesh. You know, Paul, the apostle Paul doesn't identify what his thorn in the flesh is, and we can all more readily identify with what he says about it because it isn't specific uh, uh, what, what he says it is. So we can more uh, readily apply it to ourselves. There's a commentator, F.B. Meyer, a commentator on the Psalms, and he, he summed up the whole Psalm with this phrase, well it is when we come to the end of our strength and begin to appreciate God's. Well it is, that's kind of a strange sentence structure for us, but it's, it's well for us when we come to the end of our strength and begin to appreciate God's strength. And clearly, in this psalm, David is at the end of his strength. He's, he's at that place. Uh, he's feeling desperately needy uh, to know that God is listening. So let's, um, let's read. Let's start in, uh, in verse 1. Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I'm afflicted and needy. Preserve my soul, for I am a godly man. Oh, you, my God, save your servant who trusts in you. Be gracious to me, O oh Lord, for to you I cry all day long. Make glad the soul of your servant, for to you, O oh Lord, I lift up my soul. For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in loving kindness to all who call upon you. I call this, this section... Uh, A cry from deep need. And David begins to plea to the Lord, to cry out to the Lord. And he bases his pleas on three things as he begins. I think we see that in here. Uh, First, he bases it on his God, the nature of the God that he knows. Loving kindness, in, in my translation, the word was loving kindness. Yours might say loyal love, right at the end of verse five there, is a key theme. And it's a basis for this psalm throughout. And it harkens back to a really important time in the history of God's people, Israel. Uh, Exodus 34, 6, they're consecrating the new stone tablets with the law on them, and they're renewing the Mosaic covenant. And just after uh, God's commanded the people to leave Sinai and go to the land which he swore to his people, uh, we we have this. In the midst of that, the Lord passed before him, Moses, and proclaimed the Lord, so God's proclaiming this about himself, okay? This is God's self-declaration. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And the passage goes on on that basis. And this, this self-declaration of God about himself is also kind of a national confession for the people of Israel. And so we see it coming again uh, here out of David, David's lips into Psalm 86. We actually see it um, three times um, he's presuming on God's self-proclaimed trustworthiness, and that that uh, that word in there, uh, that loving kindness word, that steadfast love word in the Hebrew is is a, an ancient word, a beautiful word, hesed. Uh, it's 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 a tough one. It's not loving kindness purely. When we hear loving kindness, I think we kind of think you know, kind, sweet love. Uh, hesed is. I look for a variety of definitions just to unpack it for you. Loyal, faithful love, loving kindness and mercy based fully on God's devotion to his own word, his covenant to his people. So it's a it is a loyal love. It's a it's a tenacious love. It's a it's a faithful love. And that aligns with the idea of grace. Be gracious to me that David expresses in, in verse three. And, and it's, 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 it's a look at who God is and his, his self-proclamation about himself, his faithfulness, his faithful love toward us. And on the basis of that, that national confession and that self-disclosure of God, David presumes to ask for and expect the presence and the attention and the provision and the protection, etc., that we're going to see in the rest of this psalm as it unfolds. And there's a second thing. That David presumes upon it says he presumes on his godliness not God's godliness but his own for I am a godly man it says in verse 2 and when you read that I don't know if you kind of tripped on it when I read it a minute ago uh if you define well when you read it how did you define godly when you hear the word godly when you heard the word godly in that context you know it's David writing it I think a lot of us kind of go to the superhero the biblical superhero yeah of course David could say that he was he slew Goliath he's you know he's he's King David and if we do that, we kind of got a problem, because if God preserves only the godly in that sense, in that biblical superhero, uh, that, that, that Bible hero sense, um, then this can't apply to me. I'm not, a, I'm not a biblical superhero, and so we can begin to check out, you know, even as the, as the psalm has begun. But thankfully, we know David's whole story, we know his sins and his struggles, uh, we know his, his presumption on God's grace and not performance. It's even in this psalm. And, and so maybe uh, a better understanding. I mean, Certainly there is the idea that if we uh, walk obediently, uh, if we walk in a godly way, we are more under the blessings, the receipt of the blessings of God in our lives. That's a promise of his word. But we can't, we can't all count ourselves biblical superheroes. And so maybe, maybe a better rendering for us in this moment would be, preserve my soul, for I am yours. In, 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 in you, I'm godly. Uh, that's, that's true of David. He was one of God's chosen people. He was a man after God's own heart. In our modern context, that can be true of us as well uh, because of what Christ did. The songs we sang about the work of Christ on the cross a few moments ago. For those of you all to whom that's a new concept, I'll just... Briefly say, you know, we we believe and we teach that God's word says that God desires to be in relationship with us. He desires to be there for us in our moments of distress. But we've got a problem in our humanity because we're sinful, because we're imperfect, and God is perfect, and the imperfect can't have relationship with what is perfect, and we can't be good enough to make up for that. And so, God, in His grace, Uh, Reached down through his son Jesus, who came and lived that perfect life and died on the cross and rose again, so that by faith in him, we could receive the forgiveness of our sins and have that opportunity opened up for us to have our relationship with our Creator restored, so that we can know him in relationship. And it can be true of us, as God's word says, that we're adopted, that we're his children, that we're his people, in a very similar way to that the children of Israel were his people. So when we're God's, when we're in his, his, his favor, his care of us, his love for us, his provision for us, his assistance in trial aren't based on our performance, but they're based on the nature of his character, the nature of his love, that loyal love to his children, that loyal love to his people. And so it goes right back to the first point is that trust in God. And then the third thing that David bases this on is his own trust. This settling the issue uh, as he does, your servant who trusts in you. He refers to himself, and I want to just pause for a second as we begin, as we launch into this, and think of what you would say of yourself. Would you say that God, I'm your servant who trusts in you? Are you really wrestling with trusting Him for one reason or another? Perhaps the circumstances that you find yourself in. That that isn't just to say I'm I'm your servant who trusts in you. Isn't to say that I don't have momentary doubts. We all struggle with doubts, but it is to say that doubts are not, I trust God. Is that, is that a reflection of your heart, as David was able to say in this psalm? And out of his position under God's gracious choice that we talked about and founded on, on David's choice to trust God, David is also writing from a desire to be living out that trust in obedience. And we're going to look at this in a little more detail later on. But uh, in, in verses eleven and things, uh, in 11 and 12, uh, things like, I will walk in your truth. I will glorify your name. So out of that trust, David is desiring and he's living out uh, uh, that trust in a, very, in a very profound and obedient way. So for us, uh, in Christ, trusting God like David, and from a place of dependent willingness to live out that trust, we can apply this psalm to our circumstances And uh, cry out as David begins to do in verse 3. He begins to ask. Be gracious to me. Ask for it from your circumstances. Make my soul glad. Ask for it for your circumstances. Why? Because I'm crying out to you, God. I'm lifting up. These are David's words. Lifting up my soul to you. I'm trusting you. Why? Because you are good and you're ready to forgive. And you're abundant in loving kindness. And to whom are you abundant in loving kindness, God? to all who call on you, to all who trust in you. So, so with David, and as this psalm unfolds, there's even more prayer and more plea from his desperate place. Uh, we can identify and we can also, uh, we could also cry out, but we need to evaluate where our focus is at this moment. If you're presently, I don't know your circumstances, if you're presently living in good times and things are going well, is your focus on the good times and the good things instead of the giver? of those good things, I encourage you to shift your focus because uh, those good things will not remain dependable. (laughs) Shift your focus to the giver of those good things, and when the tough times come, you've got your focus uh, fixed on the right one. And if your your times right now are difficult, or if you're identifying with that poor and needy status that David is identifying with, are you focused on the problems and the causes and the circumstances Have you seen the problems can seem to continue and go on and on without end? Or is your focus on the dependable, steadfast lover of your soul, as David uh, describes here? David enables us to shift our focus and and the the passage we're going to go into now uh, in verse 6. Let's go there and read. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer and give heed to the voice of my supplications. In the day of my trouble, I shall call on you. For you will answer me. There is no one like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any other works like yours. All nations whom you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and they shall glorify your name. For you are great, and you do wondrous deeds. You alone are God. We see in the first part of that. So we read six through ten. In six and seven, we see a God who answers. God listens. Uh, but are you trusting Him only with your with your focus this morning? David continues the plea, the, the prayer in this, give ear, O Lord, give heed, pay attention. Don't, don't just listen, pay attention. Please, please be with me. Please be focused with me on these circumstances. Please be listening. And then there's a vow. He says, in the day of trouble, I will call on you and not, and not other things. As we, I will call on you, Lord. That's his That's his vow. And I want to just pause for a note here because he uses the term day of trouble, but it appears that David is really in the midst of days of trouble, just based on the hard attitude that he's expressing. And uh, so, so the day of trouble can be more than just a day. It can go on and on. It can seem to linger and linger to the point uh, that you, you don't know what to do. You can't, you can't deal with it anymore. And could you, with David be able to continue to say, "In days of trouble, I will continue to call on you." If there's no immediate answer in our circumstances, if a day turns into days, it doesn't mean that God has checked out. It can seem that way, but what it really means is he wants more for you. Those circumstances are working something in you that he wants more of for your good. As I was thinking about this, I was trying to think of some people from Christian life, Christian culture, who have really lived out that um, uh, extended days of trouble. And I thought of two particular women, Corey Ten Boom. If you don't know Corey's story, uh, she was a child in the Holocaust. And so she was for years in a Nazi concentration camp, Horrible conditions, nothing of, nothing of her own left to her except some pages of a Bible and no idea how long that was going to last or if it would end in anything except her death. And then uh, Johnny Erickson Tata, a different kind of difficulty, a different kind of extended uh, difficulty. Johnny's story is a young woman, a teenager. She uh, was injured in a swimming accident and was paralyzed and has lived for decades uh, in this state of paralysis Uh, going around the world and declaring the grace and the goodness of God from her circumstances and and sharing the gospel. Corey Ten Boom was quoted as saying, you can never learn that Christ is all you need until Christ is all you have. And she experienced that. And look at the the shift in her attitude that took place because of the extended circumstances of difficulty. Johnny, uh, God is more concerned with conforming me to the likeness of his son than leaving me in my comfort zones. God is more interested in inward qualities than outward circumstances. Things like refining my faith, humbling my heart, cleaning up my thought life, and strengthening my character. And she says, God doesn't just give us grace, he gives us Jesus, the Lord of grace. So in times of difficulty are going on, and it seems like God's checked out, I said he, what He's really wanting is more for you. He's wanting you to know more about Him, to know Him better, to have more of Him, and He's wanting to do things in your character that He could not do in any other way except through that difficulty. And the heart of faith expressed through the heart of David, uh, trust, you will, you will answer me. We have to be ready for that answer to come in a form that we don't expect but his answer will always be in our best interest he is trustworthy as i was thinking on this i was thinking of a time at the beginning of my season of ministry here at grace when uh, really just the first year or two i was called upon one weekend because of an accident that had happened and there was a family uh, not even really regular attendees here at our church, a, an international student family, uh, a young father and mother, and their, I think, about eight-year-old son. And the, uh, they were finishing up their PhD programs, both the husband and the wife. The wife had finished first. She was headed to the glorious first day of her new job at Dell in Austin. And on Highway 21, she died in an accident. And uh, left was the young father, and the young son. I knew nothing about their faith, uh, their, what kind of faith they were coming from. I actually didn't finish the story in the first service. but um, and, and then so I was preparing to, to speak at a funeral for a father and son I didn't know very well except the few moments I'd had with them and a congregation of people that I didn't know anything about. And I was crying out, Lord, what, what do you say in this context? And I looked at the little folio that the funeral home had provided and it had Uh, Psalm 23 on the back of it. I just began to meditate on Psalm 23, a very familiar psalm to all of us, right? We could probably recite it in our sleep or something like that, but just felt God uh, affirming a a fresh take on it that um, this great shepherd and all of his provision, it isn't talking about great circumstances, right? The valley of the shadow of death and the presence of my enemies, but uh, this uh, this great shepherd is a provider and he's faithful through any of those circumstances. And it struck me uh, the theme of the message that day was, I don't know how to explain what has happened, but if you will trust God, he will show himself trustworthy. That's really all we can take. We don't see his, his, his affirmation or his answer in the moment, but if you will trust him, his word says he will show himself trustworthy. And in, incidentally, we found out later that the, the mom had been a, a, a part of some Bible studies here, had been praying for her husband. And God led her husband and, and, uh, and, and their son into a deeper relationship with him through the, through the tragic circumstances. He showed himself trustworthy. But if we're looking in difficult circumstances for an answer in our own terms, in terms of our own best interest, uh, it may seem like God is either, uh, you know, uh, isn't answering or, or worse, he isn't good. And we can lose faith and, and this, this unnoticed lack of trust develops in our heart that's not the way to go. With David, the way to go is to trust, is simply cling to trust and to trust in this one who, who is so, so magnificent and so unequaled. And so verses eight through 10 go into this praise of God, this doxology. It's a doxology with a bunch of missiology mixed into it. And you go, what in the world is this in the middle of this psalm on suffering? Well, it's, it's, it's crucial because Trust is most beautifully built on the foundation of God's sovereignty. If God isn't sovereign, he's not trustworthy. If he is sovereign, he is entirely trustworthy. If we truly know and believe he's sovereign, then we can trust. We trust. The the passage there in in, in verse 8 harkens back to another moment in Israel's history uh, Exodus 15, this is after the parting of the Red Sea and the people get through safely and the Egyptians come in and the waters crash upon them and uh, the people are free once and for all. They're on the other side of the Red Sea and they're free from their bondage in Egypt. And a, a, a song uh, uh, breaks forth and verse 8 uh, the song breaks forth and it asks a question in verse 8 is the answer to that question. In Exodus 15, who is like you among the gods, O Lord? Who is like you? Majestic in holiness, awesome in praises, working wonders. You stretched out your right hand and the earth swallowed them. In your loving kindness, you have led the people whom you have redeemed. And, and our verse 8 answers that question. Who is like you among the gods, O Lord? There is none like you, O God, uh, among all the gods. There is none like you. So God's work on behalf of his people is great, but his work on behalf of all people is even more ultimate, and that, again, is why this particular choice of words is in this passage. Biblically, this idea that the God who answers is passionate about all na- nations is, is perhaps the greatest expression and truth about God's sovereignty and his commitment to everyone, his commitment to all people. It's a theme, his commitment to all people is a theme that sings through Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. We see it uh, here. Now, when you look at the passages we just looked at, you look at the passage in Exodus um, 34, it's about his choice of one people, and the passage in Exodus 15, it's about smashing the Egyptians. It doesn't seem very much like God's heart through Israel is for all people. But if you look at the foundation of God's relationship with his people, and you go back to Genesis 12, when Abraham is called by God, uh, you see this. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall, be a, you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who curse, who bless you. And the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So there's an idea in God's, even in God's choosing of his people, Israel is his desire to bless all nations. And we're ultimately, uh, uh, we, we Gentiles in the room are ultimately recipients of that blessing. When God demonstrates his sovereign intent to fulfill that, the blessing of all nations, he's making a statement of supreme sovereignty. And that supremely sovereign God is to be trusted. So this Verses 8 through 10 isn't just a parenthetical thought, a, a kind of a, you know, David lost himself in praise for just a moment. It's, it's a structural focal cent- center of this psalm, of this idea of what we do when we're hurting. We focus on this magnificent uh, sovereign God. And we're going to look at it again in just a bit when we wrap up. So as he continues then, we see in uh, coming out of that praise, we see the development of the idea of what is going on in David's heart uh, that is uh, that heart of such great trust. In what kind of a, a heart soil is trust most vibrantly cultivated? What, 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 what is there? What's going on? And we see in this passage, and we don't have a lot of time to go into detail, but we see uh, in David's words, his, his teachability, his willingness to learn, his truth walking, his focus on the truth. His, as Jesus prayed for us, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. He's, he's a truth Walker. He walks out truth. He's single-hearted. He asks for God to singularize, to unite his heart, not let him be scattered on many things, but singularly focused on God's things. Fear of the Lord's name. Gratitude. a Priority on glory. And in verse 12, he says, with all my heart. He's wholehearted in all of these things. And why? Why is David there? Why has he gotten to this place? Because again of who God is, verse 13 And there's a repeat of that passage from Exodus 34 about God's great, loyal, faithful love. Great in loving kindness, my deliverer, and verse 7, you will answer me. There's something going on here. God's faithfulness to us cultivates trust. We see it in the heart of David. We see it in our own lives And trust in us engages us in appreciation and identification and receipt of God's faithfulness. So his faithfulness cultivates trust. And when we live on that trust, it reconnects us to to his faithfulness. And there's this beautiful multiplying cycle that we can enjoy, even in the midst of ongoing trial, because we see who God is and we see what he's doing. And from my own story that That I shared with you in in places even of of clinical depression, just a day by day by day focusing on and clinging to his trust was sometimes all I could do. And many of you have been there. But when we do that, God begins to show up and he begins to work and, and carry out that work in our lives that he's desiring to do. And notice these disciplines, these lifestyle things, where's the focus? Again, the focus is on God, not on me. I'm stuck focused on me and my circumstances I'm headed downward the spiral gets worse and there's there's a bottom somewhere and sometimes we have to get to that bottom to look up again but if my focus is on God and his perfections then I'm headed up so uh, as David wraps up we get to understand what his real problem was so look at verse 14 <clears throat> oh God Arrogant men have risen up against me and a band of violent men have sought my life and they have not set you before them. But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness and truth. There's those words again. Turn to me and be gracious to me. O grant strength, your strength to your servant. Save the son of your handmaid. Show me a sign for good that those who hate me may see it And be ashamed because you, O Lord, have helped me and comforted me. David's uh, particular troubles, by the way, this this section, I just, I called it toward trusty living because I didn't really have a better word for that. But how do we, how do we develop trustiness in our, in our life, uh, in our lives? Uh, David's particular uh, uh, troubles are enemies, arrogant, insolent, violent, ungodly people who have apparently been after him for some time. And we can look at many instances in David's life that we, uh, that this might uh, apply to. But in the midst of that, where does David focus? He has his eyes on the solver of the problems, not the problems. Even in this passage where he begins to reveal what the problem is, he's got his eye back on God. And there's a, there's a, uh, a, a pattern that we see, a formula, if you will, for trusty living out of David's example here, out of his words. And the first thing, the first piece in that formula is praise. He praises God out of those circumstances. He shifts his focus uh, to the very best of God's attributes. That again, that passage of self-proclamation of God's praise. Now, it's tough to praise in difficult circumstances. If you've been there. And sometimes you think, well, gosh, my, if I'm just willing myself to praise, I'm not really praising. And I, again, I go back to, um, to Johnny Erickson um, talking about this. She says, like supernatural effervescence, praise will sometimes bubble up from the joy of simply knowing Christ. But praise can also be a supernatural determination, a decisive action. Praise like that is quiet resolve, fixed devotion, uh, strength of spirit. Don't don't be down on yourself if all you can do in a difficult time in your life is just manage to praise even though you don't necessarily feel it. That kind of praise is strength building. It, It builds resolve. It builds strength of character in us. Second thing that David is doing is he's praying. We've seen it throughout the psalm and we see it again here. Turn to me. He's honest. He's specific. He's raw. Turn to me. Come here. Be gracious to me. All that you are, God, be that to me in this circumstance. Grant strength. Grant me your strength. Give me what I need exactly for this thing that I'm going going through. Save me. Uh, Save the son of your handmaid is a reference to slavery. Uh, The king of Israel is referring to himself as a slave. He's he's, uh, humble. He's lowly uh, before God in this circumstance. Praying in difficult circumstances is difficult to do. You can cry out and bring God your problems, but uh, for, for Jeannie and me in particular, in some of the seasons we've been walking through, there's an author named uh, Ruth Myers uh, who has written um, uh, the 31 Days books, and in um, I, th- I have The Satisfied Life on there. I think it's The Satisfied Heart. Um, in, in her book, in this particular book, she's, uh, one of her daily devotions is on uh, difficulty, and she prays a prayer at the end of that. And this is just to me a great example of prayer in difficult circumstance, in trials. I choose to thank you for the trials. You bring my way because your love is tough. Thank you for holding to me and not holding back. And thank you for continuing your tender care, even when you're putting me through refining fires. In the midst, make me war, more aware of you and your love than any visible things in my life. What a great prayer! It's on about page one forty. If you want to, if you want to uh, jot that one down. So, so David uh, uh, praises and he, he prays. He prays prayers like this, and then he presumes. He he goes right into his trust, uh, his his trust, his dependence on the faithfulness of God. You've already helped me, comforted me. Uh, and he asks, God, please add a thing to your answer that will show these guys who you are. Please glorify yourself in what you show them through these, uh, these through your response to these circumstances in my life. I have the idea of plunder there. Um, you know, so oftentimes, uh, Uh, This also came in a discussion between me and Jeannie from a, a Bible study that Beth Moore did, that when the children of Israel left their bondage in Egypt, the Egyptians were throwing their gold and their things after them. So God's children left their bondage with Treasures and riches and blessing. There was a plunder uh, from their experience of slavery that, that went with them. And so often, <clears throat> when we're walking out of our own struggles and our own bondage, uh, there are things that God throws our way, that we see later on our blessings and riches and things that He intended to do all along. And one of those things can be uh, His work in the lives of others, even in the lives of our enemies. You may not have enemies like David here, you know, pursuers in a warfare situation or something like that, but uh, there may be some aspect of other people in the struggle that you're going through and you can pray, not, not for their shame, I guess you could, but you can maybe pray for their salvation. Pray that God would draw them to himself through these circumstances that are going on in your life. Wouldn't that be a greater glory to God and a more beautiful thing? And certainly there's the enemy of our souls and you can certainly pray for his shame and the glory of God if the opposition that is coming against you you feel uh, is satanic pray pray against pray against that enemy and uh, and seek and expect and look to God for his glorious answer so wrapping this all up what do we do well step back to God listens based on what we've seen in this psalm does God listen you can nod or you can say yes. I believe, I believe we see in his word affirmed beautifully that he does. And he's a listener who's more faithful and more devoted than any other listener that we know. He listens uh, most attentively in the circumstances that we think are the worst. I think God listens, seems to listen most attentively in the circumstances where we think he's being least attentive. His, his allowing the trial makes it seem that he isn't listening. But in fact, the trial is a part of his faithful love. In this past week, <clears throat> I had the opportunity to hear uh, the testimony of another on this, this very idea that I was just expressing. And you're going to hear the terminology leaning into your grief. I would say from this psalm and even from what is said in the video that you could apply it more uh, broadly into leaning into any of our trials. Grief is one of those trials. The testimony is... Uh, from our friend, um, Julie Blum. And I don't know if all of you know the Blum's story. Uh, back in December, we received the word uh, of a tragedy in their family. The Blum's, a family of six, served alongside us on crew staff uh, and uh, here at Grace Bible Church uh, very faithfully. And then they followed the Lord's call to Alaska. And they've been serving there for a number of years. And this past December, uh, Julie and their oldest two boys was in uh, uh, Anchorage, not not where they live. Uh, And uh, Scott and uh, Zach and Caitlin, the two youngest, were in their hometown. And the only way from their hometown to Anchorage is by flight, and the plane crashed. Julie can speak to these kinds of difficult circumstances in a way that, Uh, So many of us can't understand. This past week, she was in Colorado Springs, uh, Fort Collins, sorry, uh, at the National Conference uh, for Crew, and she was interviewed in front of the National Crew staff, and I just wanted you to hear a portion of that testimony.
1: Can you tell us about the importance of us leaning in to our grief? I would say I was not great at doing this before this. This has been a pretty significant boot camp for me, but I see how God has been chipping away. Um to get the diamonds out of the rough for now when I need to see their sparkle. And um, I think as a human being, if we don't know what to do with pain, the only sane thing to do is to avoid it, right? (laughs) Push it away, seek comfort. And I think that was kind of the mode I'd been in. And as I walked into this, I thought, well, in the deep places of pain, there's just darkness. Mm -hmm. There's maybe even God showing me my sin or other dark things. And I tell you what in those deep places our treasure troves I was missing out on of who he is, of his word and how rich it is, of relationships in deeper places. And I have been in awe of how how rich that is. And I think everybody's got pain. It's a common language. It doesn't matter if it's death, if it's disappointment, and everywhere in between. But we have to start taking our pain to Jesus. Mm-hmm. We have to start with the, instead of that shouldn't have bothered me, the, I'm going to bring that into the light and present it to him and yes. see it. Then he can redeem and transform. The enemy wants it in the dark. It's exactly Always. where he loves to have things. Yeah. And so there it isolates and it steals and kills and destroys as he's so darn good at. Mm-hmm. But in those places of seeing it, I just have seen God bring beauty from ashes, even in small ways and in big ones. And isn't that the gospel? Isn't that ultimately the cross and the resurrection? And so from that place to connect with a lost world, even when we're still in our ashes, Mm -hmm. we still have hope. We don't know how the story turns out. I don't know how the story turns out. But I do know that he is big enough. And I am in awe that pain doesn't negate joy. I feel like pain is that oxygen in your scuba tank that gets you down to the depths. And it's also the oxygen that gets you to the heights where you couldn't go before because you couldn't breathe. Mm-hmm. And he does that. And I don't get it. But his kingdom's upside down. It's always been that way. <laughs> I just get to know it a little bit more. Yeah. And I feel really honored. That is powerful.
0: I feel honored, she said. That's just a, a profound statement of a heart that has really let the Lord work through the difficult circumstances and and cultivate trust in the one who is trustworthy. So as we wrap up, I want to give you some thoughts on how to exercise your trust muscle, okay? We need to grow this thing in our lives. First of all, settle it. Do you trust him? Do you take him in his word? Do you believe he's who he says? Have you put your faith in Christ as we talked about the very beginning point of all of this? And then in that walk of faith in Christ, do you believe him? Do Do you trust God? Are you going to trust him through any circumstances? And out of that, Pray. If you're in a good place, pray for the development of your trust. If you're in a tough place, pray like David. Pray pray honestly, expectantly, uh, 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 raw, honest, but pray. Ask God for what you need. And then I want you to look in your present need, particularly if you're in a difficult place right now. It's a, a challenge out of joy from my own experience Find a step of trust in your present need. Find some something you can do concrete every day. It could be as simple as a particular prayer, like that prayer uh, from Ruth Myers that I read a moment ago, or uh, a prayer from scripture or a scripture that maybe just twice a day for 10 minutes, morning and evening, you'll, you'll pray. And, and even if at the moment you're not believing it, you're going to pray it in my trust. You're going to, you're going to claim it and keep praying it. Some you'll, you'll, you'll know what God's calling you to if you're in that place. Some some step of trust from your present need. And then I want to encourage you to go beyond that, even if you're in the most difficult place that you can imagine. But because of that focal passage in the middle of the psalm, I want to challenge you to also consider a step of trust that reaches way beyond your concept of what you think you can accomplish right now. I know what it's like to be in a place where I, I can't do that. God, I can't even fathom getting out of bed this morning or whatever. But uh, I challenge you to think about a step and I challenge you to think cross culturally. I challenge you to think globally because of that aspect of God's heart for the nations. Here's three things. Meet and pray for a missionary. We have a lot of missionaries that we support and get to know one of them personally through the miracle of email or social media. And Mark and Lou Ann Dotser are here. They're going to be right down there at the end of the service. They lead our care team. And uh, if you want to do that, just see them and they'll get your contact information. They'll get you in touch with one of our missionaries. Begin to pray for someone else's work to the nations. Coming up at the end of August is our big give. A, a, a massive, massive demonstration of God's grace to the international students who will be coming in to Texas A&M. For a Saturday morning, you can help us out over there. There's stuff all over the website on how to do it and meet an international student, meet somebody from another culture, find out about them, find out about their faith and talk to them about yours and just share life with them and begin to take a step across a cultural barrier. Or we have lots of opportunities to go on a short-term mission trip and challenge you to think about that. And from a difficult place, that could seem like an overwhelming thing to do but we had scheduled we're going to end a little bit differently this morning we had scheduled anyway a report on our El Salvador mission trip folks from Anderson campus who went to El Salvador a few weeks ago uh, and uh, uh, Dave Poling and Liz Hollingsworth are here to share a little bit about their experience and to give you an update on that trip I'm going to invite them just as you listen to them just think about what God might be inspiring in your heart hang with us for just a couple more minutes here y'all come on
2: Howdy. I'm very thankful to Pat for the opportunity to talk to you about our trip to El Salvador to give you a little bit of an idea of some of the things that went on that week and some of the, things that, the lessons that we learned. I could talk for 15 to 20 minutes easily about this trip, but I only have like two or three. So if you feel like uh, hearing more about it, please come to me after the service. I'll be happy to talk to you more about it. For our family, my wife Melissa and my sons uh, Travis and Tyler... This trip was really about getting outside of our comfort zone, way outside of our comfort zone, and stepping out and trusting the Lord and being obedient to to what he was calling. And that process actually started well before the trip. We probably had thought about going on this trip for more than a year. And then the first little baby step of stepping out in faith was actually asking for people to support us on the trip. We had planned on... Uh, paying for this trip out of our own pocket. And Grace said, no, we don't want you to do that. We want you to give people the opportunity to partner with you and to support you financially and support you in prayer. And we were really hesitant about that. It was really kind of awkward for us. But we did that, and the results were awesome. It was really gratifying to have people... um, you know, the way they responded to us and to to have the opportunity to talk about spiritual matters and talk about this trip with people that we wouldn't otherwise have been able to do that with without that. And when we were down there in El Salvador, we really could feel the support of all the people back here. Some of you are in the pews right now um, that supported us on this trip and prayerfully supported us as well. And there were many ways that those of us who went on the trip kind of stretched ourselves far beyond what we're used to, far beyond what we're capable of by ourselves. Uh, constructing houses. I have—I know nothing about construction, but we did it anyway. Uh, and you'll have to take my word for it because I don't think it made the slideshow, but it actually turned out very well. Um, uh, we had multiple people give their testimony while we were down there. In Spanish, um, several of the times, we had kids that went on the trip with us that helped other Salvadoran kids learn Bible verses. We made multiple gospel presentations, again, in Spanish. We had uh, people teaching kids how to read by reading the Bible with them. And there were just all these unstructured interactions that just happened where, with us just relating to the people down there just right where they were. And I, I probably should mention at this point that I haven't spoken Spanish in 15 years. And most of the other people on the trip spoke little or no Spanish at all. And that was one of the big prayers heading into this was, Lord, please don't let the language barrier, the communication issues, um, keep us from being able to serve you and being able to relate to these people. And that really wasn't an issue at all. It was amazing how well we were able to communicate, how well we were able to relate down there, and all the things we were able to get across. So in all of these things... God provided. God enabled us to do far more than we could by ourselves. Um, It was a great week. And so there were, you know, a couple of really big lessons learned. One of them was the obvious one, how blessed we are here in America with all the things that we have, Um, safety and security, the opportunity to worship wherever we want, uh, all the material blessings we have, flush toilets. You know, all these things that we take for granted. Um, The bigger lesson, the one that I hope really sticks with us, is what it actually looks like to be obedient to what God's calling you to do. What it actually looks like to start your day in the Word with quiet time and have focused, intentional time throughout the rest of the day where you're serving others, where you're presenting the gospel in some way that day and doing that on a daily basis for multiple days in a row, actually living the way that God calls us to live for the first time in my life. Um, so I hope the lesson that y'all are getting from this is not, well, wow, that sounded like he had a great week and you know, he sure liked talking about that week. That's not what I want you to get from this at all. What I would like you to get is that for most of my spiritual life, Twenty years or a little over, I was resided right in the the comfortable middle of you know the congregation where i didn 't get out of my comfort zone and i didn 't stretch myself and i didn 't step out on faith and i didn 't trust God to do things that I know that he wanted me to do, and it took me getting out of that comfort zone to actually grow so if i could if I could go back, knowing what I know now and talk to younger version of me from last year or five years or 10 years or 15 years ago, I would say, Hey man, what are you waiting for? You know, what are you, why don't you stop just talking about it and thinking about it and actually step out and trust in God and do what you know that you're supposed to be doing and just trust that he's going to enable you to do, to, to give you whatever you think you lack. And he's going to enable you to do To serve him and to do what what he wants you to do
3: hi my name is liz hollingsworth my husband neil and i have been on three trips uh, to el salvador that's him he just fixed a sewing machine and is demonstrating that it works now (laughs) he fixed three or four sewing machines on this trip and that was his first time fixing a sewing machine so he grew in his knowledge of sewing machines on this trip um, and I see a number of ship trippers here from each of the three years that we've gone. Adam's wearing his ship shirt, way to represent. Good to see you all here. Um, I could talk about El Salvador for probably 30 minutes, but I'm going to read from my paper so that I behave myself. And we're not here for another hour because I get really excited. My now husband and I were engaged when I saw the announcement about the El Salvador trip on these screens one Sunday morning. And about 30 seconds later, I informed him that we needed to go on this trip. It was my first mission trip, and it would be his second. We marked six months of marriage on our first El Salvador trip, and we have been back every year since. Actually, after the first trip, I told my husband we were coming back every year for the rest of our lives. And he said, well, we'll see about that. But so far, I've been right. Good job, me. (laughs) As grad students and newlyweds, the expense of going on this trip has been daunting every year. And every year, God has provided us with the means to go on this trip. As we were preparing for our first trip, we were meeting with some of the ship staffers. And Carrie Beck, um, who serves with ship a lot, and and comes to grace told us about the teen girls Bible study that they have and the need for women on the trip to share their testimonies at this Bible study and I started feeling a tug at my heart Carrie then went on to say that stories that are particularly personal and even painful are especially impactful so that tug turned into a yank God was challenging me to share my testimony I was 27 years old And I had never done so before. In fact, I had skipped an entire semester of Sunday school the previous year because they were focusing on testimonies that semester. And they were asking different people to share theirs at each Sunday school. And I was not about to do that. So I just didn't go to Sunday school. But God continued to nag about this prospect of sharing on the trip. And then my new husband joined in. Not fair. But during our week in El Salvador, there was one vacant testimony slot that would not fill up. So I gave in. The first time I ever shared my testimony was with about a dozen Salvadoran teenage girls in Spanish. Thank you, Google Translate. All week long, the girls had been silly and restless during Bible study. But that night, they were focused and when I had finished sharing, they overflowed with sincere and difficult questions. It was clear that many of them had been through similar experiences, but they thought that nothing like that ever happened in America. It was just a problem that happened to them. The next year, those girls who probably meet 100 ship trippers every year remembered my name, remembered who I was, and we began developing friendships. When it came time for our community outreach event, I shared my testimony for the second time, again in Spanish, with over 60 people. This year, I shared with over 100 people. This is the community outreach event this year. That's a picture of our turnout. I have only ever been brave enough to share my, my story in Spanish, but because I trusted God on that first trip, I now have a new testimony to share in English. God has used my story of hope and healing from childhood sexual abuse to build bridges between those gringos whose lives must be so easy, who show up talking about God's love and light, and the people of El Salvador who are surrounded by darkness and broken relationships. As a child, I thought I would go to my grave without ever telling anyone, not even my parents, what was happening to me. The abuse spanned the majority of my childhood, and though it is in the past, the journey of healing is long and unfinished, but I've come to trust God with my story, and he has challenged me to step out of the darkness and into the light. That challenge has included crossing cultural and linguistic barriers to bring the light with me, to shine for people who are still in the pit of darkness and who think they are alone. Sharing with you this morning is part of that challenge. And I believe that I experienced spiritual attacks last night in the form of nightmares to try to chicken me out of sharing this with you. But God's reward for trusting him has been not only freedom and healing, but precious relationships forged over shared trauma. I can now see clearly that what Satan meant to harm me God has used for my good and for the good of those who need the same freedom and healing that God has given me. God challenged me to go. God has challenged me to share. And every day, God challenges me to trust. Just as we learn from Psalm 23 and numerous examples throughout the Bible, God has proven himself trustworthy. Today, I praise him for his loving kindness poured out on me and poured out on the people of El Salvador. Thank you.
0: Thanks, so out of a place of, uh, of pain and difficulty, a step of faith, and God bringing glory to himself and bringing healing in our lives is a great example of what David spoke to us this morning. Would you pray with me? Father... Uh, I just as I began, I pray that uh, we would give ourselves in this time to you, that we would allow uh, your work in our hearts. I pray for each person here, whatever circumstance they're in, <clears throat> that they would see the, the beauty and the power of trusting you, of a life of dependence, truly trusting you, and that, that we would begin to take those steps uh, even today that in our difficulty or in our victory would be uh, steps toward you and steps uh, toward a life that glorifies you, and would you do that work in us today as we go. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless y'all. Thanks for, thanks for hanging with us.